So about 10 days ago, give or take a day or two, uh, Jason and Emily Rahajo were here in, in the neighborhood. And that name might mean something to some of you. Uh, for those of you who don't know or don't kind of remember, although it's hard not to remember, uh, Jason was an associate pastor here uh, and led worship. They were here, kind of part of Summer Kids Club and a whole bunch of things, visiting family. So it was really good to see them. And then last Sunday in church, David and Catherine Hogan were visiting us. David was also an associate pastor here. Uh, and today we have, ah, oh, there, in the light, Andy and, oh, good, there's Julie next to you and, I, and the kids. I see one. Where's the other ones? In Sunday school? You've also lost your kids. This is why we have kid dedications. Uh, but it's awesome to have Andrew and Julie in church with us this morning. Absolutely. Uh, for those who don't know why we're clapping, Andrew was also an associate pastor here at the church. Andy, it's been great to catch up with you this morning. I completely forgot to ask you, am I allowed to call you doctor yet? Almost. Okay. Andy has been in England, in Oxford, working on his doctorate, as well as in ministry there. And so, Andy, we've been praying for you. Glad you're here with family. This morning, we continue. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been preaching or working through a series simply titled, Let's Talk. Uh, and it's the invitation from God, our Father, who simply invites us to talk with Him. Uh, to talk about what might be on our hearts, to, uh, about my, what might concern us, about those frustrations, those trials, those tribulations, even those good things. And, and as we've been learning from the various prayers of Jesus Christ, we've been learning about how to talk to God and, and about what to talk about when we come to God, as we, we bring whatever is on our hearts and minds to the Father. We learned that we get to call God Abba Father. There's this intimacy with God. Yes, God is holy, other, and in fact, holy, yet God invites us into this relationship of intimacy. He's not far off. He's not aloof. He doesn't sort of hold us at an arm's length and, and expect sort of, you know, something from us. He simply invites us to come before Him and to chat with Him. You know, last week, Pastor Jennifer preached an incredible message on praying with confidence and how as we pray with confidence, we're able to come before God and we're, we can be confident that God hears us, that God listens to us. And of course, within that sermon, we were reminded that God invites us to pray in Jesus' name. And what that means is we pray in the will of the Father. We pray according to the will of Christ. Not that we never pray about our concerns, not that we never pray about our worries, but that when we journey with God, slowly we perhaps need to change some of those prayers. And in the midst of a trial or of a turmoil of whatever problem we're going through, it's not simply, God, take away my pain. Yes, we can ask that. It's not simply, God, make this right. Yes, we can ask that. But part of the prayer is, God, show me yourself in the middle of this. Let me see what you're doing. Let me see what your will is here so that I can walk in that, so that I can, I can trust you in that, and I can pray along the lines of that. And as we do that, we can pray with confidence that he listens. And of course, as we've been going week in and week out, I kind of need to remind myself, I suppose, but all of us, 
that no sermon is ever entirely standalone. What I mean by that is no one sermon kind of is taken on its own or sits on its own. Uh, They're always connected because they connect to all of Scripture. And so why I'm saying that is this morning as we continue, I I need us to hold in mind some of what has been said before. As we learn how to speak with God while we're here, left in this world. And this morning we're continuing from John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 17. I'm going to read from verses 13 to 23. They should be up on the screen behind me. Uh, and as they kind of come up there or as you turn in your Bible or on your phone or whatever else, whatever other device you might be using, it's the reminder that this is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is just before Christ's arrest uh, and then his trial or his mock trial and then his crucifixion. So just before Jesus goes through all of that and goes to the cross, Jesus is out in a garden and he's praying. But he's praying in such a way that his disciples will hear him. And they're encouraged by this prayer as he prays for them and then as he prays for the disciples to come and indeed for the church, for us. And that's what just blows my mind is as Christ is addressing the Father, he's praying for us. So in John 17, verse 13 and onwards, Jesus says, I am coming to you now, as in I'm coming to God the Father. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, I know we visited this prayer a couple of times over the last few weeks. Uh, I feel like we could probably preach for weeks and weeks just out of this high priestly prayer. There is so much in it. But this morning, as I read from that prayer in that passage, and as I keep in mind some of what Jennifer spoke about last week of praying with confidence in the will of God or praying in line with what Christ would pray, I want to reflect on another prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray in a moment. 
When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, and your will be done as it is in heaven, that's when we're starting to pray, okay, Jesus, I don't necessarily know what's going on. I don't necessarily like what's going on. But I do know that I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done. And as I pray that, so I also pray, God, open my eyes to what you're doing here. Open my eyes to what you're doing so that I can join in, so that I can pray and I can do and I can serve in that place. You know, here's one thing that I believe, as we heard about last week, God invites us to speak with Him about. He invites us to pray about. And it's from 2 Peter 3, verse 9. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And what we get from that passage and, and really from Peter and Paul's teaching that go together, Christ, our Heavenly Father, does not want anyone to be separated from Him for eternity. For God so loved the whole world that He gave His Son. Jesus wants all people to get to know Him, to enter into relationship with Him. And I think as I read through the words of Christ, I see Jesus invites me to speak to my heavenly Father, and He invites me to talk about other people, but not in the way you think. We don't get to gossip to God. God, did you see what that person did? Thank you that I don't drive like them. Thank you that I'm not like them. No, that's not what Jesus invites us to do. Jesus invites us to speak to our Heavenly Father about family, about neighbors, about friends, about colleagues who do not know Him. And He invites us to pray for them that they might get to know Jesus Christ. How can I say this? Well, I find this in Matthew chapter 9, and this is the second passage of Scripture I want to look at today, and I want to base the message off of, and that's from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. This will be up on the screen as well for a couple of verses there. Matthew 9, verse 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into his harvest field. So here's my key thought taking the high priestly prayer of Jesus, reminded that we are in the world, yet not of the world, reminded that we're invited to speak to God about people who do not know Him. My key thought is, while we remain in the world, Jesus tells us to talk to God about the salvation of all people. While we remain in the world, Jesus tells us to talk to our Habba Father about the salvation of of all people. Now, of course, that's not saying I can never speak to God about the things that concern me. Don't hear that this morning. As we've journeyed through the whole series, we're invited to bring our cares, our concerns, whatever we're facing, we're invited to bring that to God. Every need. 
But we don't only bring our little needs to God alone. At the same time, we pray, we cry out to God that all people around us might get to know Him and might experience faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as uh, Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 9, I love the fact that Matthew 10 uh, begins in a very sort of powerful way. Remember, uh, just a quick aside, Scripture never had chapter numbers and verse numbers. The original Scriptures were just kind of written out. The chapters and verses were added in later on because it really is pretty helpful to know where to find something in the Bible. But that's not how the original letters and, and books of the Bible were written. And so when we pause at the end of Matthew chapter 9 and we see a big 10, we go, okay, break. But in reality, there is no break. And so Jesus says, look at the harvest field. It's ready for the harvest. Pray that God will send workers into the harvest field. And then chapter 10 begins with, now go. Jesus calls his disciples to him, and then he sends them out into that very same harvest field. Jesus gives almost this logical continuation. Yes, indeed, pray for salvation. Pray that people will enter into faith in Christ. Pray that your family, your friends, your neighbors, everyone you know who doesn't know Jesus, pray for them. But then Jesus sends us out. I'm kind of reminded of our AGM at the, earlier on this year for the members of our church who were at our AGM. Uh, I closed off by saying, how do we look ahead? What, what do we believe God's calling us into for the next season? And I said, there are three things I think we need to do. And the first thing I said is we need to commit to pray. We must become a praying people. We need to be known by, by our prayer. But not only do we pray, secondly, I said, we need to rediscover our evangelistic zeal. We need to rediscover the passion to take the gospel into all the world, to share Christ with those who do not know him. And then thirdly, we might need to make some necessary strategic changes in order to minister. So therefore, what does it take to have this harvest field? What does it look like for us to actually go into the harvest field and bring in the harvest that Christ commands us to work in and that Christ invites us to pray about? What does it look like? Well, I have a couple of points or a couple of thoughts for you this morning. The first thing, we must envision the harvest. We must see the harvest in our mind. You know, Jesus, in John chapter 4, where this passage is kind of echoed, John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. I wonder if when you and I often look out at the people of the world, we don't see what God sees. We don't see the potential. Perhaps we just see the mess and the chaos, and it's easier to just close our eyes. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went to Bichart Gardens. I, I know I've been in Canada for six years. This was the first time I've gone to Bichart Gardens. I'm probably not even saying that right in Victoria. Uh, if you've never been to those gardens, you need to go. They are amazing. 
But there's a particular garden in the Bichart Gardens. Bichart. Am I saying the T? I should, probably should. Bichart Gardens, that's the one. There's this garden in the Bichart Gardens called the Sunken Garden. I didn't know about the history of that garden, but it's so designed that you kind of don't actually see the garden. You walk through this little meandering pathway that's quite shaded, it's quite dark, uh, it's got these pillars and everything, and it forces you to basically walk out onto this platform that overlooks this huge sunken garden. And I tell you what, I'm not a big fan of flowers. I praised God when I saw that garden. The color, the life, the vibrancy. It's just these walls, and it goes on, and there's all these rocks, and they're covered in beauty. And then you get to the bottom of the sunken garden, and there are these little plaques that kind of tell you the story. And the sunken garden used to be a quarry. And there's photos of just these rock walls and stones. And I'm like, who on earth saw a garden in a quarry? And Mrs. Bouchard did. And then she got to work. What she envisioned, she worked on. And now you and I get to go there and we marvel at that. My brothers and sisters, it's the same when we look at the world. Sadly, too many of us just see a quarry. And we go, there's no life here. There's no chance. There's no hope. I'm out of here. And Jesus says, open your eyes. Look at the garden that is here. Look what beauty can come from this. Don't you see the harvest fields are ripe and ready? And so Jesus sees the need. And he's moved with compassion because he sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost, they're wandering, they're meandering, they're helpless. And Jesus doesn't mean that in some sort of derogatory sense for the people. No, he sees the spiritual need. He sees eternity. And he goes, these people need a shepherd. And he's moved in the gut. And Jesus invites us to see the same. To look at a world that do not worship Christ to look at a world that seems to be just going crazy and to see the potential, to see a harvest field. And so we must envision the harvest. But the second thing we need to do, I believe, as we read through Scripture, is we need to prepare the soil for the seed. We need to prepare the soil. Much like a farmer must clear the field of rocks and stone and kind of have the soil ready before they plant seed in order to get an abundant harvest, we need to work. Uh, yes, the Bible tells us that if we scatter seed, there will be return, uh, but there's also a whole bunch that just sort of falls nowhere. And you and I are invited to establish relationships. You know, I, I read the other day that the vast majority of people who come to faith in Christ, and depending on whether you read George Barno or any one of the other research uh, groups, anywhere between 75% and 90% of Christians were led to Christ by family or friend. And I'm pretty sure if you think back to your life, if you think back to, well, how did I come to faith in Christ? I'm pretty sure most of us in this room would go, well, my family led me to Christ. Or, or, or I'm here because a friend dragged me to church. 
I'm here because someone prepared that soil. Someone built a relationship with me. Someone spent time investing into my life. Now, I have no problem with street preachers who climb up on a box and stand on the corner and declare the word of God. I, I, more power to them, and I pray for them. But I think there is far more success. There is far more value. Let me use that word. There's far more value of those who develop relationship. You know why I say that? <laughs> I read this from Dr. J. Wilbur. The New Testament records 40 people each suffering with some sort of disease or illness that Jesus heals. So 40 people in the, in the Gospels that Jesus heals, whether blind, lame, whatever the case might be. Of those 40 people, 34 were brought to Christ. And, and I know some of you are going, that doesn't sound right, because that was my first reaction. And then I started reading. And I realized that's the truth. 34 of the 40 people are brought to Christ in some way for him to heal. The other six just happen to be in the way of Jesus walking off, and he goes to them. You tell me there's no value in strategic relationships with people, in preparing the soil and getting to know them. We must envision the harvest, but then we must prepare the soil through relationships. But as we do that, the third thing we need to do, we must sow the seed. There comes a point in that relationship building where we have to sow the seed of the word. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 28, when, when a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking and working up the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? And that's the point. The farmer doesn't just keep working the land. The farmer doesn't just keep tending to the soil. The farmer has to sow seed. And we're invited as we look at this harvest field, as we look at the world, as we build relationships, as we prepare the seed, we need Sorry, as we prepare the soil, we need to sow seed. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have the theological answer to every single theological question out there. No one has that. There will always be doubts. There will always be questions that, that we simply cannot answer. But you know what you can do? You can witness. You can testify to what Christ has done in your life. You can testify to the goodness of God in your life. That's part of why we're going through the book of Acts in the next couple of weeks. Because in Acts, we see not simply the acts of the apostles, but we see the church growing because people witnessed to the event of Jesus Christ. How do we sow seed? We simply witness. And we each have a part to play in that. We each have different personalities. You know, as some of you, the, the thought of going to somebody and, and simply talking about Jesus scares the heebie-jeebies out of you. For someone like me, I love that kind of thing. You know, I, I, the other day at my running club, uh, I got chatting with a guy and discovered his kids go to a Catholic church and his kids go to a Catholic school, sorry. My kids go to a Christian school. And so we're talking and a third party overheard us. And, and this dude was like, but is it science? And I was like, oh yeah, I know where this is going. 
And, and I love that kind of thing. But I know some of you don't. You know what I can't do? I could not cook a meal or bake a cake to save my life. But some of you are amazing at that. And your neighbor doesn't need you to go and preach a sermon or explain to them creation versus evolution and the whole spectrum of all of that. No, no, no. They need you to bake a cake and come over and say, hey, I just felt like God wanted me to bless you with this. And that's it. Sow the seed. We each have a part to play. Paul summarizes it in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's not up to you. You're just simply invited to sow seed. God will do what God needs to do. We need to envision the harvest. We need to prepare the soil. We need to sow the seed. And then we need to wait for the seed to begin to grow. You know, it's only in fairy tales when you plant a seed and wake up the next morning that there's some sort of giant beanstalk. In real life, when you plant a seed, you've got to tend to it. You've got to water it. You've got to nurture it. And over time, slowly then, growth comes. James speaks about this in James chapter 5. James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. We need to realize that God's working to His time. And so as we sow that seed, you and I might never see true growth. We might not see the ultimate outcome. That's why we simply wait with patience. And we play our part by nurturing the soil, by planting the seed, and by watering and working with it and allowing God to do what God will do. But, and this is my last thought, we could end up simply just waiting. And we use that as the end. Okay, I've done my part, I've sowed the seed, uh, and now I'm waiting. And if we ended there, we've missed the final point. The last thing I think we learn from Jesus' prayer or Jesus' invitation here, we must see the urgency. We must see the urgency to pray and to work. You know, in Matthew 9, 36, that we read a moment ago, it says Jesus looked at the multitudes coming to him. He saw them weary and burdened, scattered like sheep, helpless, without a shepherd. Those who were perishing, ultimately, who would lead them to the Lord? What do you see when you see the people of the world? Do you see people in need of a Savior? Or do you see nuisances? Do you see people and, and determine that, well, they, they're too far gone? No, they, they don't want Jesus, so I'm not even going to bother. My brothers and sisters, that's not our job. Ultimately, it is God who will judge. We are invited to work, to pray for them, and then to sow seed and work in their lives. You know, if you are in Christ today, if you would call Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior, then I'm sorry to tell you, you have a role to play in this great commission of going into all the world and making disciples of all people. Pray for the harvest and then get up and get to work in that field. 
And if you don't yet know Christ as Lord and Savior, be encouraged that He loves you so much that He sent His Son for you. He is pursuing you. And undoubtedly, somebody else got it wrong and, and maybe they didn't tend to the soil properly in your life or maybe they didn't sow seed properly in your life and, and maybe you're a little bit kind of holding God at, a, at an arm's length. My friends, this morning, He is inviting you into that true, lasting, and loving relationship because He has compassion on you. He has incredible patience and incredible grace. And He calls out to you. Will you receive him? Let's pray together. Our Father God, this morning we, we stand in awe that you so love the world. And as you look at the world, as you look at the people of the world, nothing takes you by surprise, but instead you are moved at the very core of your being, in, in your very gut, you are moved. You have compassion because you see people in desperate need. And from all cultures, from all walks of life, from all spheres, you see humans that you created in your image who need you. And God, I thank you that you don't want any person to go into eternity without knowing you, without having that relationship of grace and favor. God, thank you for your love. I pray, Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, you would begin to open our eyes to what you see. As we see neighbors who don't know you, Help us to see what you see. As we see family, as we see friends, as we see colleagues who don't know you, help us to see what you see. When we see those quarries of hard stone and rock and gravel, and we think to ourselves, no life could ever be found here, help us to see that garden that you see. Help soften our hearts so that we would step out in faith and we would sow seeds of the gospel. We would witness to your goodness. We would share of your grace so that indeed, God, your kingdom would grow and we would see men and women, young and old, from all walks of life, worshiping you. Let our hearts not grow cold. Renew in us, reawaken in us that zeal to tell the world of your love. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.